Hello, and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to thank one of our newest listeners, Sylvia Castle, for leaving us a candid review. Thank you for listening and for your kind words, letting us know that you've been encouraged and uplifted by the podcast. Did you know that leaving a review and rating helps us tremendously? It allows others to find us and to spread the word about Candid Conversations. Would you mind leaving us a review today? Go to your favorite podcast platform and leave a review and then send us a screenshot to candid at ltw.org. You could receive a shout out on a future episode. If you listen on Facebook, leave a review there. If you listen through Leading the Way, send us an email with your review to candid at ltw.org. Now, on to our episode. We need to be able to have the rational debate in the secular world, not on, you know, I believe this because, but why are these truths good? Why is the Bible believable? Why is it good for society? And be able to have a courteous discourse on it. I think that's the only way... We're going to influence a world which is now post-Christian, and we need to be able to put our case forward in a coherent, in a winsome, and in an articulate manner. Have you ever experienced tension, challenges, or even persecution in your workplace because of your Christian faith? While we hope freedom of speech and the desire to honor diversity extends to the Christian faith, tolerance for the Christian worldview is becoming narrow and strained. Today's Candid Conversation guest found himself thrust onto the front pages of Australian newspapers labeled as a bigot simply because he was a Christian who served simultaneously on a corporate board and on the board of a Christian organization. Today, I welcome Mark Allaby to Candid Conversations. I met Mark and his family while serving in Sydney, Australia at St. Thomas's Anglican Church. As I got to know Mark, he was open with me about a season of his life where his faith and his leadership in the workplace unintentionally gained national news. It's a place many Christian business leaders could easily find themselves today. Mark has a background in the consulting and financial services with IBM in Australia and New Zealand. Prior to IBM, he has held senior executive roles in both the banking sector and with global consultancies in the financial sector. He and his family have lived in places one would only dream of, Canada, Switzerland, and Australia. In this episode, Mark shares a story of God's hand of provision in the midst of overt persecution, a cautionary yet encouraging tale you won't want to miss. Now, on to our conversation. Well, Mark Allaby, it's so good to have you on Candid Conversations. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. We miss uh, seeing you and your family in Sydney, uh, but it's such a great privilege that we have our common shared faith together, and we can even, through technology, have conversations like this that are hopefully helpful for many people. Well, I hope so. And, and, you know, the technology has been a real blessing for many, many folks, both from a work perspective and from a private perspective. I know certainly uh, here in Sydney, we've been able to avail ourselves of some fantastic uh, technology to keep the churches going and, and allow, uh, you know, people who are 
want to be together, uh, you know, to worship, to be able to do so in a virtual sense. So it's been, uh, it's been tremendous. And it's amazing how quickly all this has become almost second nature to us. So it's real good. Mark, for those listeners who may not be familiar with your story, paint us a little picture of uh, the life of Mark Allaby and, and feel free to uh, tell as much or as little as you like. Okay, well, thanks for that. So, I uh, I'm, I'm uh, married to Susan. Uh, we have two uh, grown-up children, and uh, we have attended for many, many years St. Thomas's Anglican Church in here in North Sydney. I'm originally from the UK. Grew up in Switzerland. My wife Susan is originally from the US in the Chicago area, um, and we came to Australia in 1992. From actually, we were living in Zurich at the time. And uh, we came to uh, Sydney in 1992 for a couple of years, and uh, we fell in love with the place. And so we've stayed, and, and Sydney is, is now home. So uh, it's been a, a real blessing. Uh, and for those of you who haven't had a chance to visit Australia, I can only commend it to you. We like to refer to Australia as God's own country. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> um, professionally, I've been in the consulting industry and financial services most of my career. So I, I started out and spent many, many years at uh, what was Anderson Consulting and then became Accenture. I was a partner there. I then went into banking and was a senior executive with a couple of the banks here in Australia and then went back into consulting where I spent time at uh, PwC, which is PricewaterhouseCoopers. And then uh, for the last sort of almost five years, I have been with IBM where I am responsible for the financial services industry of our business here in Australia and New Zealand. And uh, you have served on various Christian organizations while in Australia as well. Tell us a little bit about that. We've been very fortunate in Australia. Uh, we, under the very visionary and bold leadership of a chap called Jim Wallace, an organization grew up, it's got to be 20 years ago, called the Australian Christian Lobby. And I'll refer to them as ACL, it's quicker to do. But uh, the Australian Christian Lobby was set up really as a, a voice for Christian values in the public square. I guess one of the things that, uh, that Jim had a, a passion for was that um, the church was in many ways not unified in engaging with, with society and engaging with you know, the secular world around why Christian values are actually good for society. And you've got to remember that most countries, uh, certainly Western world countries, and Australia certainly would be part of that, you know, their foundation, their heritage, their legal system, their government thing comes from a Judeo-Christian background. And so, you know, and while many countries are moving into a postmodern environment, there's still an argument, we believe, to say that actually some of the Christian values have a place in the world, they are valid, they are good for society, and they are good for humankind. And we didn't really feel that um, we were being effective in conveying that message. And, you know, every side of, of a society, you know, will have different points of view. And, and, you know, that is the beauty of a democracy, quite frankly. Everyone needs to be able to have a point of view and have the freedom and have the right to be able to articulate it. And I think Jim's passion was that we needed to be more effective in conveying that in a very non-denominational way. This is not a denominational organization. It is equally staffed, supported, and engaged with all branches of Christianity from Protestants, whether it be you know Anglicans, uh, Baptists, Methodists, 
through to the very strong relationship into the Catholic community and even into the Greek Orthodox and other communities. So it's very much about Christianity, not about particular branches of Christianity. And the vision there was was to be able to engage with politics, engage in the topics debated in the public square, and to be able to do so in a winsome manner that articulated why our point of view is a valid one, as opposed to just this is our point of view and we disagree with it. I was uh, very blessed to be asked to be part of the board of ACL, and that probably started in, I'm going to say, 2011, 2012, something like that. And ACL also has a subsidiary called the Lachlan Macquarie Internship. And it is, so it's a separate entity with its own board, which um, runs, in essence, a training facility. And its flagship facility is this internship, which is a four-month residential training. And what it aims to do is to equip Christians who have a passion and a desire to go into public service, whether that's working in the public service or going into politics, to equip them to be able to articulate why they believe some of their Christian beliefs and articulate why that would be relevant to their political perspective. So this is about equipping people who want to go into politics to be able to defend and argue their case. Because what we find is that there are, uh, at least in this country, there have been many Christians who have gone into politics. And, uh, you know, politics is a contact sport. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's really very, very uh, disappointing how acrimonious politics has become. And today the debate seems to be less about the content and more about personal attacks. And and what we found is that many Christians were actually struggling to be effective in articulating their message. And so the purpose of the Lachlan Macquarie internship, which I'll refer to as LMI, is really just to equip people who are Christians to be able to argue their case. And it does some other stuff with supporting programs for church youth groups. It does some uh, some work uh, uh, helping you know pastors with pastor retreats. And again, but it's all about helping people who are Christians. It's not about converting people. This is about helping and equipping Christians to be able to engage with the secular world around them in a manner that is effective and helps them, uh, you know, have the confidence to do so. So that so LMI and ACL have been the two Christian organizations that I've been most heavily involved in. Well, companies have, over the last decade, have waded into the political waters. And so you, you can see this uh, convergence coming where you obviously have uh, a foot uh, firmly planted uh, in your work world with um, Pricewaterhouse uh, IBM, whatever it is, and then you've got a very divergent political worldview that's taking place with what's happening inside of those companies, and then and then what you're doing with uh, LMI and ACL. So tell us about that sort of uh, loggerhead that sort of took place uh, in your professional career with between those two worlds, so to speak. I think companies today are very well equipped and focused on building diversity in the workforce. I think we would all recognize that um, diversity in the workforce is a good thing, diversity of thinking, diversity of gender, and being able to have different points of view and have a 
conversation around them, whether that's, you know, around a work topic or whatever, is good. And we all benefit from that. And I think that's probably uh, a, a pretty much a, a universal uh, truth in the workplace today. I think what becomes interesting is as part of being a diverse workforce, the reality is you will have individuals who will have diverse personal points of view. Then you get to a, a space where a corporation or, or a company will have certain policies and certain stances and certain perspectives, as is absolutely, you know, their prerogative. Um, but if you have a diverse workforce, you also have to be tolerant that individuals may or may not share those. But right. as an employee, you are held to and obliged to be supportive of those policies as it relates to your your conduct in undertaking the company's business or in protecting the company's best interests. So um, the challenge we, we've had is, and, and you know, for those of you who are not familiar with Australia, we, we've been a little, uh, I'll say a little slower on some of the cultural change that, than many countries. And there was a very um, acrimonious referendum that took place, and it's probably two or three years ago now, on legalizing gay marriage. And so that created an environment where, you know, you had, you know, companies were taking positions on, on this, some not overtly, some very overtly. And, and of course, you have a workforce that is a cross-section of, of, of the country who, who may or may not you know, support some of those points of view. Right. Um, and so at the time I was working, this is, this is actually more than three years ago. It would have been in 2015 probably, so five, five six years ago. Uh, and PwC, you know, as a global corporation, and this is true of many large corporations that, that are global, you know, because they are – very committed to diversity. Uh, they will have a strong and, and, and vocal agenda around uh, including all forms of diversity. And so there was a strong endorsement and support for the gay marriage agenda um, within PwC. And, you know, and as an employee, I think, you know, you have to respect that. That's the stance that a company takes. Um, now, what I do and what I say as an individual you know, I have to be circumspect, uh, but, you know, I may or may not personally share that perspective. Um, you know, I can say in my activities on both the boards of ACL and LMI, you know, I went about the business of being a board member. I was not a mouthpiece. I've never spoken in public. I do not use social media. So I've actually never stood up and said one word about my point of view in the public square, whether it's in my personal uh, capacity or in a corporate capacity. Um, but what happened there was that um, PwC obviously had a strong stance and um, there was a couple of LGBTI activists who, you know, they're making their case. And uh, they went onto the PwC Twitter feed and um, hijacked some PwC material. So there was a graphic of the um, you know, the CEO with, you know, some kind of a billboard that, that, you know, said something and it's probably something to the effect of diversity is core to our strategy, which is true and, 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 and admirable. But, um, what they did was they, they edited this graphic and, and then put on language to the effect of, you know, it's, it's core to our strategy, but, you know, Alibi's a gay bigot or something, right? And posted it back on the PWC, uh, Twitter feed, which, you know, was probably not a, not an appropriate thing to do, but quite rightly, PwC you know got very concerned about the the, the narrative that this was causing. Um, so, you know, this is an issue where somebody's trying to make their case, 
and you know went out and did something that was frankly egregious to PwC, egregious to me, uh, not in response to uh, you know anything either party had done. Now the thing that I find really kind of uh, concerning uh, in this day and age, and I think social media does actually have a lot to answer for. You know, in the old days, if you did something like that and you put something in the press, you'd be holding the courts for libel. But in, in social media days, that, that just doesn't work. And you have no recourse, right? Social media is an echo chamber for people who want to either argue or just keep reinforcing their own points of view. And so there's absolutely no value in PwC or, or myself you know, trying to respond on Twitter, because all it's going to do is fuel rhetoric. And so PwC were in a, you know, we're in a, you know, a position where on one hand, you know, they had a corporate stance that was, you know, very supportive of the gay marriage agenda. And on the other hand, you had this attack that kind of put that in question. And so that that was difficult for PwC. Um, One thing you have to realize is that, you know, if you're in senior corporate positions, and, and I'm sure this is true the world over, Uh, But certainly here, you know, your employment contract gives you the right to do things, uh, particularly and take uh, positions on on boards and other things. But you have to get it approved by your employer, because if they deem it to be at odds with their interests, then they reserve the right to ask you not to do so. And I think that's absolutely right and proper. I mean, if you are, you know, if you if you do hold a senior role, that's absolutely the right thing to do. And so it became quite awkward for PwC because there was no value in getting into a social media debate. And quite frankly, for myself, I felt there was no upside to anybody getting into a shouting match over this. And so it really, I think it left me with no alternative. And I spent a lot of time talking with Jim, who was the, the chairman of the ACL, talking about this. And I really felt like I had no alternative but to stand down from the ACL board because while PwC did not uh, at the time, you know, ask me formally to step down, I felt that it was it wasn't possible for me to continue to operate as a senior member of, of the organization and be on this board and have all this stuff rattling around in the background. And, and that was problematic. Probably the thing that I felt was was disappointing, and, 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 and this is something that I think is a challenge for corporations, is that um, I think corporations have now got themselves to the point where, and you can understand why, right? Bad news is counterproductive, and so keeping the noise level down is probably the name of the game from a media perspective. And so what was disappointing to me was that with a stated agenda of diversity, what PwC did not do was defend my diversity, um, right. But I also understand the predicament they found themselves in. So in that context, I really had no option but to stand down from the ACL board. Now, this, you know, was all over the press. I mean, there was a week there. My photo taken from LinkedIn was on the front yeah. page of uh, a couple of papers on two or three days in, in the week. And what was interesting was um, in the media, you always, again, you have, you have two sort of quite polarized view. You had... The, the side of the media that, that was pro the, the, the gay marriage legislation that kind of amplified and echoed, you know, some of the narrative that, that um, uh, you know, that these activists were raising. Uh, but actually, probably more was from the more conservative side who started questioning, well, you know, why is this allowed? Why, why is it that you can attack individuals with, you know, no right of answer? What's this individual done? At what point can people no longer actually 
participate and undertake things that are on their conscience or or near to their heart if they're open to attack. And in fact, there was a number of articles that kind of questioned the point to which companies who are actively sponsoring some, you know, in this case, it was it was the, the gay marriage debate, but it doesn't really matter what debate it is. If you're sponsoring kind of something that's not necessarily the norm, and there are many uh, lobby and, and, and activist groups that do it, and then something comes up, you become hostage to ransom, which is exactly what happened, right? I mean, the reality of it was these individuals took PwC to ransom, which said, if you, pretty much, if you don't do something about this, we're going to keep making a noise on your Twitter feed, with the implied implication, right, or the, yeah. the implied threat. And, and, and a lot, there was a lot of press that really leaned into that. And I think in many ways I will say, um, you know, and it was very traumatic for me the first, because I don't spend a lot of time <laughs> in the public square and I, and I right. didn't expect to have my paper on the front page of the news. Um, <laughs> and it was quite traumatic, but what was really interesting was the amount of backlash in the community against what had happened. And the articles that were in the press, I mean, there was plenty supportive of it, but the, the, the amount of articles in the press that were outraged by the fact that this could happen, I thought was, was really positive. And I think it actually fueled a debate in the community through the media about both sides of it. And, and I think this is a really important point. In a democracy, you know, we're all entitled to our own point of view. And I may not agree with other people on certain topics, but I will fight to my dying breath for their right to argue their case, right? We all have a right to our view and we all have a right to argue it. And therefore, you know, one of the reasons for the LMI is to help Christians argue their case. The problem with the way politics and particular some of these lightning rod issues is that there is no longer a tolerance for a civil and engaged debate. I mean, if you look at the narrative that's gone on, particularly around around gay marriage and LGBTI topics, whether it's from a corporate level or from either sides of the activism, it's become about sound bites and personal attacks. It's not about let me understand your point of view and let me share yours. And it's about drowning people out. And I think that is a very, very real sadness that we've got to that. Well, and there's a line between politics and religion. And, and I guess I'm, you know, I'm curious where, how did you kind of view that line being drawn uh, in your particular case? Well, you know, my view is that the, you know, the, the religion point of view is my Christians. I think we are fairly clear on what we believe and why we believe it. But the problem is, you know, we are in a postmodern society. We are in a post-Christian society. And so an argument of, I have this view and I think it's right and you have that view and you think it's right goes nowhere. It just becomes people shouting at each other with their point of view. And so our ability to argue why a point of view we think is important. And don't get me wrong, the biggest issue we think was not so much um, gay marriage in itself. It was the curbs that were threatened and that were coming with some of that that would have far further ramifications. So, you know, the example is... You know, if people want to get married, that's fine. But all of a sudden you have the baker who gets taken to court because he or she refuses to make a cake for it because of their personal beliefs. So all of a sudden you're no longer allowed to follow your personal beliefs. You are forced by the state to do things because those sort of challenges, you know, to uh, started to extend to, you know, there was threats of 
let's take a religious school as an example. It doesn't matter whether it's a Christian school, an Islamic school or whatever. You could no longer make hiring decisions on based on whether the applicant demonstrated uh, adherence to your beliefs. And, and clearly in both of those cases, hiring teachers that would be in, in the LGBTI lifestyle would probably not be consistent with the teachings of either faith. Right. And, and so some of those things really came to pass. But, um, you know, so... The politics side of it was, you know, is, is, is very much about, you know, it's fairness and equality for everyone. The problem is politics gets dominated by whoever's the loudest. And, and right. if you observe the narrative and the debate that's gone on, it hasn't been a respectful debate and it hasn't been about arguing a single point. It's been about advancing an LGBTI agenda. And frankly, uh, I think at the expense of all others and, what we see today in society, and we see this in politics in most places in the world, but and it's got nothing to do with just with an LGBTI agenda. It's if you don't agree with my point of view, then you are intolerant, right? And so the yeah. ability for us to uh, gracefully disagree is no longer there. But, you know, what really struck me through all of this was that um, I felt uh, that this was absolutely God's work. You know, while it was a bit shocking when it first happened, because I was just not used to that. And, and it felt like a personal attack. And I, you know, I felt somewhat injured. It was interesting that it surfaced a debate in the community that otherwise had been quiet. And, uh, you know, and so the, as I said, the, the number of press articles that came out in defense, you know, on both sides, but the number that came out in defense of a Christian point of view was truly heartening. I would say to you that while the gay marriage legislation was passed and that was the will of the people um i think it forced people to have a much more inquiring conversation about some of the approach and the tactics and the discourse or last or lack thereof that we were having and so i i actually felt at that time that um you know me being a very small pawn in the way god plays these things out actually brought this topic that had probably been ignored by a lot of people, because I would still argue that Australia, while there would be active Christians, is probably a small and dwindling portion of the population. I think you would probably say there was a majority who would identify as, uh, you know, of Christian values. And I think the surface stuff that they were probably ignoring, were probably not engaged in it, and it was constructive to the conversation. You're right. I mean, Christians probably were not equipped for answering questions that, as you said earlier, the things that sort of uh, LMI and ACL are training young people in, which is giving a right and helpful response from a Judeo-Christian foundation worldview, speaking into the, the issues of the day from that perspective in a helpful way. Yeah, that's right. And so one of the things that I think um, probably came out of that for me was uh, I, you know, was emboldened, you know, in my day-to-day -day life, particularly at work, not to be overtly active. Uh, and, you know, you need to be, especially when you're in senior roles, you need to be very, very careful. I mean, you need to focus in the workplace needs to be professional. And the challenge becomes how do you let people know about your Christianity without it being perceived as proselytizing? Um, but what it did do is it did embolden me to be, more transparent about that. So, you know, the classic example, Monday morning, you know, how was your weekend? Hey, it was great. Went to church Sunday morning. I probably wouldn't have necessarily said that before this, before this stuff blew up. 
Now, people who know me know I'm a Christian and go to church, but people who, who don't, um, you know, that's a way of letting them know. And, and then, you know, I think what I became much more conscious of is if they know you're a Christian and then they observe your behavior day to day, and so you, know, you have to be very mindful about your conduct, which you have to do anyway in the workplace. And I think it just, to me, it sensitized the fact that, you know, people know I'm a Christian and so they're going to be watching. And so yeah. your behavior has to reflect your beliefs. And so where it becomes interesting is you've got to love everybody. And, you know, if there's people who you don't know or you disagree with or, you know, may embrace activities that you wouldn't necessarily choose for yourself, you still got to show them respect, support, coaching, encouragement, and love them as, as Christian brothers. And so I think that's been actually really, really quite helpful. That's a great example because what it does is sort of breaks down the the sort of religious extremist caricature that so many people may have. You know, obviously having lived in Sydney for a number of years, I know that it's easy for people to hear Christian and have a, a set of preconceived ideas of what you're like and, uh, you know, the type of person you are. But it's you're right. It's the relationship that breaks that down because what they do get is they get the, like you said, the odd picture in the newspaper and, uh, you know, probably an article with some half truths in it that don't really fill out the full story. But when you have an opportunity to build a relationship with a person, uh, for them to see the way you lead or the way that you carry yourself in work, that breaks down a lot of those, you know, again, preconceived ideas that, that people may have of what a Christian is like. Well, and that's exactly right. And I go back to the social media thing, right? I mean, you know, anybody who knows me, whether it's through work or through, you know, social things. I mean, I'm 56 now and, you know, the joints are starting to creak at the edges. But I, I played soccer for up until I was about 52, you know, so I, I play sports. I think people knew me and none of them would ever tell you that I'm a bigot, um, you know, someone who's offensive, who's trying to impinge on other people's right. And yet, and yet the narrative that came out from these individuals about me, you know, was to the effect that, you know, I was there trying to destroy the, you know, the, the social fabric, that I was trying to undermine PWC's stance, uh, and I was profiteering of my senior position there, to do, which was completely untrue. And anybody who knew me would know that to be the case. Right. The problem is there is no right of return, and it's not worth trying to have an argument, because right. particularly in social media, and this is, I think, one of the drawbacks of technology is that we've got to the point where everything is asynchronous. I mean, it's one thing if you stand in front of somebody and you, you make statements that are defamatory or not true because the individual has an ability to either take you to task or defend themselves in an asynchronous world like social media boards or whatever people can just mouth off with there is no way to hold people to account i think that's disappointing and i and and i think we've lost the art of of having a a civil debate and discussion where we might need to agree to disagree can we open dialogue on issues, you know, not even the hot button issues like gay marriage, but, but on any issue, you know, and if we can, how do we do it? I think the answer is, um, particularly in the context of being in the role as I'm in, you have particularly in the workplace, I would not engage that debate because I think that would be not consistent with being, you know, in, in the roles of responsibility. But if someone asks you, I think you have to be able to argue it, but you have to be able to argue it. And this is why LMI is so important. You have to be able to argue it 
with a set of reason facts as opposed to, you know, well, the Bible says so and that's my stance, right? Which I think is how a lot of us respond because we, we're ill-equipped to actually argue the case. Right. Um, you know, and so whether it's, you know, arguments around why the nuclear family is the right model for raising children or whether it's around other topics, I think the ability to be able to engage that debate is important. But in the context of the workplace, you have to be very, very careful because there is a fine line. And, and you know, I think the U.S. is probably more draconian than Australia. But, you know, you, you can very quickly get to a point where somebody takes offense and it becomes an HR issue, yeah. right? So yeah. You have to be very mindful. But that leads me to my the second event, um, which is when I was working at, at IBM. And I think it's, it's interesting to contrast how that happened. So by that time, I had stood down from the ACL board. I had chosen to leave PwC because I was frankly so disappointed with the way they responded to the first attack. And so about 18 months into my position with IBM, um, again, as this gay marriage legislation was coming to a head, um, a number of corporations uh, signed an open letter to the prime minister saying, we support the gay marriage legislation. And, And, you know, IBM, big corporation like any other, you know, equally, was a signatory to that, and that would be consistent with IBM's corporate stance on diversity. Again, you know, Mark Allaby was nowhere to be seen anywhere, <laughs> but I was still on the board of the LMI, right. and the same activists came after IBM and, uh, you know, threatened, how can this be? How can you have, you know, Mark Allaby in a senior role when he's on the board of, and, you know, fit in all the words you want, but basically people who were, you know, unfit to be part of society. And LMI is a training institution. It's not a lobbying institution. It's not, uh, you know, involved in politics. Its purpose is to provide training to Christians. So I don't know how that would be in any way, in any way uh, egregious to, to, to anybody. And, you know, and we had the same issues and there was a lot of stuff in the press, but I, I think the response was different. And so IBM, you know, were actually pretty good. I mean, they said, look, we got you to get your stand down from the board. And, and I absolutely understood that. Um, but the good thing was they basically shut it down. And I actually had people out of our, the media part of the business in North America at a headquarters, you know, say to me, look, we got your back. Keep your head down. The strategy is we don't say anything, right? So it was ignore the topic. And, but I actually felt that this employer had my back, right? So with that, and I think that was different to the experience I had at, at PwC. And, and quite frankly, the noise went away pretty quickly. It was never an issue, but it was entirely in, uh, you know, my employer's right to say, look, this, this is probably, this is a board I probably need you to stand down from. And, you know, that was fine, but it was, it was handled very, very professionally. What was most amazing, though, after that second event, I wasn't at all stressed because I knew this was God's hand at work uh, again. And I felt like I, I was absolutely covered, um, you know. And I knew IBM were there, were there to, uh, you know, to make sure that that any attacks on me personally were not going to uh, go anywhere. Um, but what was interesting was the number of Christians in IBM who reached out to me, who I had no idea were Christians. Right? I had people come up to me and go, "Oh, you know what? I'm Salvation Army. That I'm so pleased that you were there. What happened to you was completely wrong." I had people from all over the organization sending me emails, phone calls, or whatever of support. So it reinforced my view that uh, people may not be comfortable standing up for their view. But there was lots of people who were supporting, and it was funny. In all of that, I I probably had seventy or eighty pieces of correspondence from IBMers and others. Uh, in fact, I even had a letter 
from a chap I never heard of, never met him, didn't know him, who was on holiday in Thailand and wrote me a letter on hotel letterhead, expressing his outrage at the treatment of me. But I didn't have one piece of abusive correspondence, which I thought was, again, you know, this is God's hand at work and you've just got to have the the confidence to battle it out. And, you know, these things blow over. I mean, in the moment, it can be quite stressful, but it's never been an issue. And people know my convictions, know my perspectives. I don't think there's anybody that I deal with at work that would say that, um, you know, that they would feel that uh, they're uncomfortable or that my personal perspectives would impinge on their freedoms or their opportunity to operate at work. And I think that's just the balance we've got to find. When we work for a company or an employer, you know, we are an agent of that organization and we have to um, defend and protect that organization's interests. And if you're not, if you get to a point where you're not comfortable with that, then you shouldn't work for them. Right. But at the same time, I don't think anyone should feel like you have to absolve your own conscience and your own beliefs. And it's finding the balance there in a way that allows you to be confident that, um, you know, when judgment comes, you've done the right thing. And, you know, you've been there, you've trusted in the savior and and you have been a good steward of uh, the salvation we've been given. You know, you mentioned at the beginning, ACL, sort of the vision was giving a voice, a Christian voice in the public sphere. But what do you see are the proper outlets for voicing that voice, so to speak? Again, I I think it depends on your circumstance. I I think um, having the confidence to have a conversation as an individual is important. Like, let's say if you work at a church or, or if that is part of your day-to-day activity and it's appropriate, I think we need to have the confidence to actually go and argue our point of view, you know, in a rational way, because we have to engage with the secular world. I mean, we can't kind of go into church bubble and, yeah. Yeah. you know, and ignore it. So I think we have to find a way to engage the secular world. And, you know, different people's circumstance will allow them to do that to a greater or lesser degree. In a corporate environment, I don't feel like it's appropriate for me to be doing things very visibly in a public square because of the potential conflict that puts me in. That doesn't stop me being very active behind the scenes, supporting you know organizations that do so. I can do that in my private capacity. But you know, I think on a day-to-day basis, we do need to be willing to, to engage the conversation. And again, in the workplace, it's tricky because what can seem as a very innocuous conversation can very quickly become, you know, a complaint of bullying, proselytizing and whatever else that very quickly becomes, you know, snowballs. And so, you, you know, and, and you guys will have exactly the same thing in the U.S. as we have it. So, you know, depending on, on your circumstances and it's got nothing to do with seniority. I mean, you could be the most junior person in an organization. If you start overtly Sharing your faith with someone who takes offense to that, that can turn nasty very, very quickly. So I think you have to be mindful of it. Yeah, there's, um, there's a, a winsomeness, right, to uh, n- not only argumentation, but just in general interaction. And, um, you know, I just keep thinking of sort of two sides of this coin, and it's the things we hear is that, you know, there's kind of two responses. It's either go along and get along, or it's sort of you're the really brash, harsh, 
we'll say Christian for this example, you know, who's just wants to get their opinions out and across and it's inscribed everywhere at your, at your workplace. And, uh, you know, you've kind of getting into where, uh, Peter writes about, you know, don't be persecuted for all the wrong reasons. You want to do it for the right reasons. That's sort of the picture I think I get, but it sounds like Mark, you're kind of giving us this middle road that seems to be kind of the more biblical, model of of how we walk this out as Christians in the workplace? I think so. I mean, I think what you need to do is you need to be clear about um, there are going to be places that you may potentially end up where you have to draw the line, right? And and that's about not compromising your personal beliefs. But equally, I think um, extremists on either end of an argument, I don't think are actually helpful. Um, (laughs) Right. right? And frankly, all it's going to do is reinforce stereotypes that are perpetrated by those who don't agree with you and reinforced in the media. My view is your your most powerful argument is people will respect you. Forget your personal convictions. People will respect you in your professional capacity because whatever your attributes are, you're good at your job, you're smart, you're insightful, whatever, whatever. If they know that you have a conviction, in this case, it's, you know, it's a Christian faith, they probably go, well, hang on, that person's a thinking individual. There must be some basis for it. And if, they, if they're interested enough, they might ask you. I think flaunting it in their face is probably not helpful. Um, and, and if anything, it will likely scare people off. As I said, if I was wearing you know, my Christianity on my sleeve at work, would more people have come up to me and said, look, I, you know, by the way, I'm, you know, I, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic and, and what happened to you was outrageous. Would they have done that the same way they did when I wasn't? But you exhibit your beliefs, I think, through the way you live your life. And it, as long as they know it's there and you leave the door open for people to approach, I think it becomes a more effective mechanism. What would you say to the person who, maybe not in as uh public a way as you've been through, but but maybe is feeling some judgment from others, maybe some of the labels of intolerant or, or bigoted language that comes in. Um, how would you advise them to handle that situation? And, you know, what's the way that they can express their faith in a helpful way? So the first thing I'd say is um, recognize that God has his hand on these things, right? This stuff happens for a reason. And I would encourage you to pray about how to best handle it and how to best respond to it. You know, every circumstance is different. You know, Mark Allaby's circumstances are different to somebody else's. But I think, you know, the first thing I do is, is be prayerful about how to best handle it. And I think have the confidence to at least always hold up your core beliefs. Uh, you know, what I wouldn't do is compromise your, your position. I, I think, um, you know, it might be uncomfortable. And, you know, you made the point of, you know, be persecuted for the right reasons. Don't necessarily bring it on, but hold the ground. But first and foremost, have the confidence and the assurance that God has his hand on this and this is happening for a reason. Well, Mark, uh, anything else you think you'd like to share? I think we shouldn't give up on this topic. It feels to me like, you know, the world is moving more and more quickly uh, to a very secular world where you know there are no absolute truths there no are uh, there are no you know moral absolutes you know yeah. my truth is as good as your truth which is which is clearly not consistent with our viewpoint and i think right. you've got to you know continue to believe um i think you've got to be confident in living your life as a light be prepared to defend your point of view 
when you get the chance. I'm not saying go out and you know and look and look for those battles, yeah. but be equipped. You know, I, I, and it, which is a challenge for all of us. And I'm certainly no role model in this, right? But I think what struck me through all of this, and, and you know, my involvement with things like ACL and LMI really sensitized me to is is we need to be able to have the rational debate in the secular world not on you know i believe this because but why are these truths why is the bible believable why is it good for society and be able to have a courteous discourse on it uh, i i think that's the only way we're going to influence uh, you know a world which is now post-christian and we need to be able to um put our case forward in a coherent, in a winsome, and in an articulate manner. We may not win every debate, but again, you've just got to trust that um, you know there's a bigger plan at play here. Well, and you're right. It, it does feel a little bit these days like every viewpoint is willing to be listened to and heard apart from the Christian worldview. That's probably true, and I think it's, you know, some of that will be that we, we've got, you know, uh, critics who are very, very vocal, very, very active. And, you know, I don't know about the U.S., but I would say in Australia for many, many years, I think um, the church has probably not been as vocal as it might have been. And uh, and so absent a coherent argument to the contrary, uh, you know, people who, who don't have a strong persuasion one way or another will get swayed by the loudest voices. I think that's just a fact of life in, in a community. Yeah. Well, Mark Allaby, it's been such a privilege to talk with you, and uh, we thank you for taking the time to join us on Candid Conversations. Hey, listen, thanks for having me. Uh, Blessings to all of you, and um, keep up the good fight. Thanks, brother. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people to find us, and we can send you a free copy of my father's latest book, Hope for This Present Crisis. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.